Thank you for being with us this morning. If you're our guest, I look forward to meeting you afterwards. Would you please open in your Bible with me to Isaiah chapter 26. Uh, if you're here this morning and you think, how does that tie into the synoptic gospels? It does, but I believe that the Lord has led us to a change this morning. And candidly, I don't share this as, as some sort of manipulation for your emotions or anything like that other than to set us up with a sense of expectation for what God wants to do in our midst, not just today, but in the weeks ahead. I text our uh, pastoral team on Friday afternoon and I said, guys, something's stirring. And I want to respond to that. And Isaiah chapter 26 is where the Lord has been leading me throughout this week, but especially since Friday. And so I don't know that I want to say that this is a fresh out of the oven sermon as much as it is readily on the heart of God for us as his church. And I want to respond to those things in the same way that I want all of us to live in a sense of expectation and responding to the leading of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to take it a week at a time, see what the Lord wants to do in us and through us in this season. Uh, the sense that I have is that the next few weeks may not look like what we expect. And I don't want us just to be on our heels from that standpoint. I, I actually want to lead us through this as a church. I want us as a pastoral and ministry teams to lead us through this as a church. Because I think it's right that when we respond to the Lord that it's done properly and in order, but it's rooted and grounded in his word. So that's what leads us to Isaiah chapter 26 this morning. The title of this morning's sermon is Unburdened to Live Unhindered. And I think that today is, this is kind of marks part of what God wants to do because God is going to promise us a perfect peace in this passage so that it could be a sure foundation for our life. Let's read Isaiah chapter 26 beginning in verse 1 together. We're going to read the whole chapter. In that day this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord is an everlasting rock. For he has humbled the inhabitants of the height, the lofty city he lays it low, lays it low to the ground, casts it to the dust. <clears throat> the foot tramples it, the feet of the poor, the steps of the needy, the path of the righteous is level. You make level the way of the righteous. In the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. If favor is shown to the wicked, he does not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he deals corruptly and does not see the majesty of the Lord. O Lord, your hand is lifted up, but they do not see it. Let them see your zeal for your people and be ashamed. Let the fire for your adversaries consume them. O Lord, you will ordain peace for us, for you have indeed done for us all our works. 
O Lord our God. Other lords beside you have ruled over us, but your name alone we bring to remembrance. They are dead. They will not live. They, they are shades. They will not arise. To that end, you have visited them with destruction and wiped out all remembrance of them. But you have increased the nation, O Lord. You have increased the nation. You are glorified. You have enlarged all the borders of the land. O Lord, in distress they sought you. They poured out a whispered prayer when your discipline was upon them. Like a pregnant woman who writhes and cries out in her pangs when she is near to giving birth. So were we because of you, O Lord. We were pregnant, we writhed. But we have given birth to wind. We have accomplished no deliverance in the earth, and the inhabitants of the world have not fallen. Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while until the fury has passed by. For behold, the Lord is coming out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. And the earth will disclose the blood shed on it and will no more cover its slain. Holy Spirit, we pray this morning. Have your way with us. Through your word, through time of ministry, through prayer, have your way with us that we may live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this chapter 26 of Isaiah tells us right off the bat what kind of song it is. It's a song to be sung in the land of Judah. If we look at chapters 24 through 27, there's actually many songs of victory that are being sung there. And this is a victorious life that we are called to in Christ Jesus. And yet, how often do we feel defeated by the circumstances that we are in the midst of? Isaiah chapter 26 comes in as a song, as a part of multiple songs of victory to instruct us how to live today. In other words, we are standing in this place of victory. We have a uh, consummation to come for eternity. And yet, while we wait, this is instructing us how it is that we're to live. We're to see his victory and to understand that God is actively ruling in the world right now. This is an encouragement to us as his people that the victories of the wicked are limited. The damage that they can do to his loved people are limited. There is a, a cap on them and that someday God will return and crush the oppressors and set up his eternal kingdom which will reign gloriously over all of his people. That's a day of judgment to come. You may pick up on the language in there. But how are we to live as those who have been called by his name, those who have been purchased by his blood? How is it that we are to live today? Well, Isaiah is dealing realistically with the right now of our lives for the people of his day, for the people that are here today, and those who are waiting for his glorious return. He's speaking to us as a church, and he's instructing us how to live. Perhaps you feel that sense of, well, I don't have Assyria or Babylon to be worried about. Praise God. And yet you know that there are oppressors on this earth. You know that there is an enemy seeking to steal, kill, and destroy, to distort the truth, to take God's good design and bring evil gains to it. Perhaps you see this in your workplace, your relationships, 
on your campuses. Perhaps you experience this in your own heart and mind on a regular basis. What are we to do? How are we to live? Well, let's begin by looking at verses 3 and 4. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. He is an everlasting rock. You know, we have a secure future in Christ Jesus. That's true. It's something that we should remember. We, you may have picked up as I read through the chapter, that sense of remembrance. Is, it's repeated three or four different times throughout the passage. There is something that we are called to remember. And you know, it got me thinking about what we can often carry around as tokens of remembrance. Perhaps if you've served in the military, you've seen these things where you get a coin. Perhaps if you've gone through some type of rehabilitation, you have a coin in your pocket that, that marks a number of days of sobriety or an amount of time since it is that you fell in sin and addiction. How many of us treat God like a stone of remembrance? It may be difficult to see, but this stone that we carry around in our pocket and we remember him as we're shuffling for our keys, as we're going about the day, as we're trying to gather something that we brought with us and we say, oh yeah, Jesus is here too. And we treat him as if he's this stone of remembrance. And throughout the day, we may have this stone of Jesus and then we face the circumstances that we walk through and, and maybe we've struggled with lust and, well, there's some other stones that we drop out here. Well, maybe we're walking through something in our relationship and there are these other stones and I feel guilty for the way that I interacted with my kids or my spouse. And, uh, well, that one's just a mint, actually, so that'll be for later. Uh, we have these stones. Perhaps there's the things that are going on in our own mind, and, and we realize, well, there's that lust, there's that envy, there's that sloth, there's that wrath, there's that pride. And we show up this morning, and we say, where are you, Jesus? Which one was you? Lord, take this mess that I'm working through and, and sort it out somehow. We, we bring these other things into our lives where we have these strengths or weaknesses of our own abilities, the talents that we've been trained in, those gifts that God has given us. We look at other people's lives and we carry burdens for them that we were never designed to carry, and we just carry these things as these weights in our pockets. And then there's our finances, and then there's things like our career trajectory, the relationships that we aspire to, or the relationships that are disappointing us. And we walk around burdened as a people. And we say, where are you, Jesus? Church, if that's how we're living, we've built our lives wrongly. Now, I apologize, since Friday I wasn't able to coordinate with our team to have this giant rock right here. But imagine that this platform is the stone of Jesus. That's what we're to build our lives on. And here's the thing, when we just put him in the mix with everything else, he'll never be Lord over those things. He'll never seem to be enough. 
Because in the midst of all of these things, our minds become so cluttered with the stones and the weights of life that we never look to the one who is to be the foundation of our lives to begin with. In other words, and even as we're studying through the Sermon on the Mount, God is here to reorder our lives for his purposes. This is why it is that we see that there is a perfect peace, but not only that, look at what verse 3 says. It says, whose mind is stayed on him. It's hard to have your mind stayed on Christ when he looks smaller than the circumstances that you're walking through. Church, the Holy Spirit wants to unburden us of these things today so that we can live unhindered for him. Imagine if I were to try to just live my life with just this small amount of stones, there would be a weariness and a fatigue that would set in that is not a part of the life that we've been called to. But when I just try to make Jesus a part of the mix of the mortar of my life, it will always weigh me down. And Jesus in that moment will never be enough. But that is not my Savior. That is not your Savior. I think that this morning the Lord wants to break into the normal rhythms of our life and is calling us to unburden our minds, to unburden our hearts before Him so that we may live unhindered for Him in this world. Do you sense that, church? Do you see how it is that Jesus can be just in the mix? See, verse 4 goes on to say, trust in the Lord forever. There is an eternal call to this. There is an eternity that we have to look forward to. Trust in the Lord forever. Why? Because he is, the Lord God is an everlasting rock. These are river stones I picked up at Lowe's this morning on the way in. And my concern is, That we treat Jesus as a stone of remembrance in our pocket because that's how we think he thinks about us. Church, that's not true. We think he thinks about us as often as we think about him. In other words, we treat our relationship with him as if our perspective is the one that matters. And what scripture is saying is his perspective on us is what matters. And eternally he had you on his heart. He never puts you in his pocket. I don't know what's going on in your life that you may feel benched or gutted or winded or whatever analogy that I can come up with that says that you have taken yourself out of this Christian life. But that is not how Jesus thinks about you. He is here to be the rock, the everlasting rock that you can put your trust in and you can put your hope in for all of eternity. If he has that kind of power, why would he disappoint you today? Church, wake up to the purposes of God. Be aware of what it is that he's doing in your life. Be aware that he wants you to bring those burdens to him, to lay them down at the foot of the cross where he redeemed those things for you so that you might live on purpose for him. Why would I say that? Let's look down just a few verses. If we have a perfect peace in in the everlasting rock of Jesus Christ, we have a peace that leads to purpose. Look at verse 8 with me this morning. Isaiah 26, 8. In the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. What's the desire of your soul this morning, church? What's the thing that you long for? The circumstance that you look, are looking for God to bring resolve to, to, to work in the midst of, to show up in some supernatural way. 
Don't miss that he is there, but he's telling you what to do. Wait on the Lord. Elsewhere in Isaiah, it says that those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Are you here this morning and you feel weak or feeble in the midst of the circumstances of life? Those stones are beginning to weigh you down in a way that has made you to stop living for him. Wait on the Lord. Have your strength renewed for him that you may live for him. Why? Because as we wait, what are the things that are brought to our mind? His name. Remembering who he is. And that becoming the desire of our soul. Look at verse 15, it says this. But you have increased the nation, O Lord. You have increased the nation. You are glorified. You have enlarged all the borders of the land. There's a peace that not only leads to a purpose in the midst of waiting, but there is a kingdom that is expanding as we live for the glory of God. Perhaps it's through that one-off interaction with that server or that person at a convenience store. Perhaps it's in the relationship that you're called to in your family. I don't know the answer to that, but I can say this. God is big enough and his gospel is good enough to minister to every one of those things. Do you believe that this morning, church? Or is Jesus just in the mix of the mortar of your life? What I'm praying for this morning is that the Holy Spirit would wake us up to live for him. I just want us to look a couple verses back. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 12, it says this, O Lord, you will ordain peace for us, for you have indeed done all of our works. What's the work that he's done for us? The work that we couldn't do for ourselves. He lived the life we could not live. He died the death that we deserve. And he calls us to an everlasting peace in him. What Grace and mercy have been poured out on us, church. Why would we live like it's not true? Why would we try to put it in the mix of the mortar of our lives to keep us up? It says right at the beginning of this chapter that it is a wall and bulwark, the salvation that we've been given in the Lord. That is Jesus' redemptive work on our behalf. It is there to bind us up. It is there to hold us up. It is there to be the perfect and secure foundation for our lives. Not just to be in the mix. Lastly, we see this this morning. Not only do we have a peace that calls us to a purpose, we have a peace that protects us. If you would just turn over with me to Philippians Chapter 4. These may be some familiar verses, but I want us to specifically look at verses 7 and 8 together. There is this calling to have a peace with the Lord. That is a perfect shalom. The presence of one who is greater. The one who can oversee and reorder all of these things in our lives that feel disordered. The one who can speak calm to the mind that is in chaos. The one who can unburden the heart that feels the, the weight in the moments of life. And he says this in Philippians chapter 4, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Are you walking through circumstances this morning in this life that you don't understand? I know that I am. What is that peace active in doing? It says it right here. It will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That is an active peace. That is a peace that protects so it not only calls us to the purposes of God it protects us in the midst of it and then he goes on to give us further instruction on what it is what it looks like to set our mind in that perfect peace what does he say 
Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Did you notice that that wasn't exactly what was in the midst of all these stones and the weights of life that we carry? So God is not just instructing us how not to live. He's giving us instruction in what it looks like to live for him. In those moments when your mind is racing on things that are untrue, these passages speak to us and it says, find the truth in the midst of that and you will find where God is working. Find those things that are excellent and lovely. What is commendable about what you're walking through? Find the purposes of God in the midst of that. And lastly, if we go back to Isaiah chapter 26, I know that's the second time I said lastly, I said it was a a fresh sermon. My apologies. We have the promise of eternal peace. This week in the life of the church, we've seen loss. We've seen miscarriage. We've seen the announcement of new life and everything in between. We've had the opportunity to interact with marriages that are on the brink of falling apart and marriages that are on the brink of starting in premarital counseling. That's the life of the church. We've had the opportunity to minister to those that are walking through relational strife, who are walking through different things that is going on. And in the midst of that, we have a promise of an eternal peace. It is in those moments, it's in those kind of major touch points of life where we are faced with our own eternity that we have to wrestle with this question, what will I find my eternal peace in? What is it that I'm going to put my hopes in when this day comes? What are the things that I'm going to say, this is where my confidence lies? Verse 19 of Isaiah chapter 26 gives us one of the most clear indications of a bodily resurrection that there is in Scripture where it says this, your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. But it also gives instruction, you who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. That's not just an eternal joy that we can sing in, it is a joy that we can sing in today. It instructs us that our eternity informs the way that we're to live today. So many of us love the idea of Jesus securing our eternal future. And we live as if that's not true today. We take the things that he's given us as a future promise and we put it in our pocket. And we say, when that day comes in, I'm going to cash that one in. Remember? And Jesus says, I want to be the foundation of your life. Live in light of that day. Live as if that day really exists. Verse 21 says this, For behold, the Lord is coming out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth. There is a holy judgment coming. Verse 11 of Isaiah 26 says, O Lord, your hand is lifted up, but they do not see it. What is that? That's the judgment hand of the Lord. Hebrews reminds us we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who have trusted in God's faithfulness, even in the midst of the adversity they f- that they faced in this life. And a long-anticipated promise has come that Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, has come 
He endured the cross. He despised the shame. But he's now seated at the right hand of God. So there's not just this future promise. There is an active presence for us today. It's an active presence that will constantly bring us back to this truth. Not in some way that we just tuck it away and bring it out when we need it, but in a way that we can live for and experience and encounter every day of our life. Church, I long for this. Not only that we would have a clear reminder that he is coming again very soon and cry out, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. But that we would live today as if he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. As if he invites us into that presence. As if he empowers us with that presence to live for him. Because every one of those things is true. He secures this perfect peace. He secures this purpose that we're called to live for. He secures this eternal peace that we can live in. And he gives us his presence to be a peace to us on this earth. Church, let's not neglect that. Let's not neglect the presence of God. We are invited to come in in the same way that the happened at the Passover in Exodus chapter 12. And we know that we now have a Passover lamb who has been sacrificed so that we might be safe and find refuge in him. Church, don't add Jesus to the mortar of your life. Make him the very foundation of your soul. Well, that's all I've got. That's what the Lord laid on my heart for us this week. That's very kind. But we're not done. No applause for that one? Okay. I've asked Mike Gillen to come and pray for us. Oh, look. Found a couple more burdens. Deep pockets and last-minute illustrations don't go together, do they? I don't want to be weighed down by life anymore. I've asked Mike to pray for us in line with what we're looking at in these 21 days of prayer in our upcoming week of fasting. But church, this is where I want us to see the foundation of what God's word calls us into and then take the time today to give shape to our thoughts to unburden the weight of our souls so that we might live for him and experience his empowering presence every moment of every day of our lives let us listen now for what he wants to do in our hearts nestled in this chapter that Chris has been preaching from is verse 9 my soul yearns for you in the night my spirit within me earnestly seeks you if you've been following along in our little booklet that we've been given it's so excellent on day 8 that's today in our 21 days of prayer and fasting 21 days today is day 8 we began last Sunday and today deals with oaths from Matthew 
chapter 5, and I'm not going to go into all of that verse except to say that the writer, Robert Watson, of this booklet talks about in this page, this little devotional, about a, an unexpected death that happened to a rather young man. And again, you don't think of a young man who, like this guy, was very generous and very loving, very faithful to God, and suddenly contracts an illness and dies. It's so hard to get our brain around. And the writer of this page talks about the fact that what he left behind, you, you know what it was? Everything. All of the things that people work for, all of the things that they try to own, he found out, as will all of us, that we may own things on this life, but they're only borrowed. They're on loan to us. We're not going to have them in eternity. They're not going to happen in heaven for us we are, unless we are working for things that are eternal. And it's such a wonderful thing to remember that we, though we can own things, they are not to own us. If they own us, then they are becoming an idol. And that's something that we need to forsake and reject. In his wonderful book, Center Church, D.A. Carson, as we prepare to pray here, said this. He said, there are two types of prayers that Christians often take part in, and only one of them is the kind of prayer that will bring about revival in our lives, real change, lasting change in our hearts. The two types of prayers are maintenance prayers and frontline prayers. Only frontline prayers are going to last and bring revival. And frontline prayers include these three things, a request for grace to confess sins and to humble ourselves. Number two, compassion and zeal for the church, the flourishing of the church, and the reaching of the lost. And number three, what we read about just a moment ago from Isaiah 26, a yearning to know God. That's that deep longing, that expectancy. It only comes from, from God. And it only comes to the heart that is praying a frontline prayer. God, I'm desperate for you. Are we desperate for God? Or are we just carrying around his blessings in our pocket? Are we hungry, the kind of hunger for God that makes us do radical things for God? We're willing to step out of our comfort zone. We're willing to step out of what we like in order to obey the Lord. I confess I've come out of a season of dryness in my own life where this frontline prayer would not have represented my life. But thanks be to God, he was not willing to let me stay in that state of dryness. And he brought me out of it. I am grateful he did. I find myself now yearning for the things of God in a way that is reminiscent of when we first moved down here and this church was planted. And I think it's important for us to pray together these three things. First of all, let's ask God as we pray this morning for grace 
to confess our dryness, our sins, our lack of humility. Let's confess that as sin and say, God, I'm desperate for you. Number two, let's pray for a compassion and a zeal for the flourishing of the church. And number three, let's pray for a deep yearning to know God more. Lord, we come to you today. We pray. And Lord, we ask in Jesus' name for you to move in our hearts. Lord, we confess dryness. We confess comfortableness. We confess, Lord, that our thoughts have been on what we are trying to attain, either uh, things that we own or positions in our work. Lord, we see that as being something that is different than a front-line desire. Lord, make us to be people who are willing to step out and go your way and not our way. Help us, Lord, to live our lives and, and be dependent upon your word and read your word daily and to pray for others. Lord, bring humility to our lives, Lord, we pray. I, I, I ask God that you would do that more in my own life and in the life of all my friends here in this church. Bless this church, Lord. Thank you for it. But Lord, let us not become complacent. May we be hungry for you. May we thirst. And I thank you, Lord, that you gave us that word that those that hunger and thirst for God will be filled. Will it be satisfied, Lord? Only you can do that. Lord, we pray that we would have zeal for the lost. Give us people in our path that we'll share with and that we'll tell them the news of Jesus and the hope that he brings and he alone. And then, Lord, I pray that you would allow us to know you more. Wake us up, Lord. Wake us up not only early so that we can read the word and pray, but, Lord, I pray that you give us night watches where we wake up with a burden to pray about a specific thing or a person. Lord, would you do that? Would you give us a thirst and a hunger for you to know you more that we may get a glimpse of your glory in Jesus' name we pray. Reflect.